Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, it's Michael Kingswood and it's story time again. Hope you had a good weekend. It is now Monday here in San Diego land and it's time to get continuing on with stories. It's only been a few days since we talked last, but what the heck, got to get back on the schedule of course. And uh, let's get to it. Last time we finished up Passing in the Night, which was the prelude to the Perkson Please Conspiracy. And when last we left off those guys, they had met their aliens and gone back home to Earth. And like I said before, we're just going to go ahead and continue what happens with that story in the novel. And we'll start reading it today because why not? As usual, it's me reading, so not the uh, professional awesome voice actor or actress that I will get at some point down the road <laughs> when I have the spare shekels to uh, get the audiobook done for this. But in the meantime, I'll put out a read-by-the-owner version, too. How's that sound? And it can come from this. So sit back, relax. This is gonna take a while uh pericles is the longest book i ever wrote it comes in at 122,000 words uh, 378 printed pages and uh yeah so it's gonna take many weeks to get through it all let's get to it then passing in the night written by me read by me chapter one Pickup lines. La Chupacabra was almost empty. A few patrons sat at tables along the wall opposite the bar, and two more were at the bar itself, a plump middle-aged man in dirty work coveralls at the near corner and, at the far end, a slender woman with short-cut black hair dressed in dark business attire. The bartender idly wiped down the taps halfway down the bar, and a lone waitress chatted with a patron at one of the tables. Vid screens behind the bar displayed the latest headlines and sports scores, but the volume was muted. A tune from the middle of the pop charts played over the bar's speakers, just loudly enough to make it difficult to hear a conversation from more than a few feet away. You would have expected more business, considering it was hump day. Just two more days till the weekend, after all. But he was just as happy for a sparse crowd. He hated having to search through a throng to find his mark. As it was, a quick survey as he paused at the tavern's entrance revealed this evening's objective. He smiled slightly and walked to the far end of the bar. He paused as he reached the chair around the corner of the bar from the slender woman. He cleared his throat, but the woman already noted his presence, favoring him with a slight frown and a quirked eyebrow. Is this seat taken? he asked. She shrugged and looked away, back to the closest vid screen, where, from what he could tell from the closed captioning, some talking head was pontificating about what effect the latest elections on Centauri would have on interstellar trade. Her choice of programming made sense, considering her occupation. As he sat down, he was struck by the woman's appearance. 
10 year-long shifts as captain on a Starliner, plus the time to move up through the ranks to reach that station meant she had to be in her early to mid-50s at the very least. Still, he could have sworn she still had a few decades before she reached her middle years. She did not look a day over 40. Her bio said she was the product of a marriage between a Japanese man and an English woman. In his experience, women from East Asia tended to age well, but even still, he was impressed. The bartender sauntered over. What'll it be? Bud Light. You notice the woman smirk ever so slightly before taking a sip of her drink as the bartender moved back to the taps. He figured she would prefer to drink something more exotic from one of the colony worlds, but unless he missed his guest, she was drinking a 7 and 7. Hardly the height of sophistication itself, and not exactly a perch from which to scoff at his beer. You ever study ancient history? She glanced back at him and rolled her eyes. Not looking for company right now. Sorry, don't mean to impose. She sniffed and turned back to her news vid. A moment later, the bartender returned with his beer. He accepted it with a smile of thanks and tapped the pay pad on the bar. His database implant interfaced with the pay system and applied his standard tip rate automatically. The bartender looked surprised, then pleased and voiced his thanks before moving away. Tipping well was often useful for opening doors, he had found. He sipped at his beer for a few minutes, watching the news vid with only the vaguest of interest. It was a moot discussion. Whatever effects the election caused had already occurred more than four years ago. Folks on Earth were only just now hearing about it, of course, but whatever changes they made in response would also be extremely time-late in reaching Centauri ears. So what was the point? Glancing back at the woman, he noted that she too looked a bit amused at the discussion. Of course, she would know the futility of it more than most. Time to try again. So I was reading the other day about an ancient Athenian ruler, a guy named Pericles. She stiffened slightly when he mentioned the name, but quickly recovered, sipping her drink again without bothering to look at him. Is that right? She sounded annoyed. Very interesting man. He took another drink of his beer. He took over while Athens was rebuilding from the Persian Wars. He fostered the arts, built the Acropolis, endorsed Athenian expansionism. During his reign, Athens became the greatest political force in the region. But then, of course, he pressed too far, made Sparta nervous. And so, the Peloponnesian Wars. He didn't live to see it, but eventually Athens fell beneath Sparta's military might. Fascinating. Look, I really don't want company, so I heard a story about another Pericles recently. She froze, her expression suddenly becoming wary. He continued on. Starliner, by that name, comes in from the Gliese system, just like normal. But there's nearly a week's delay, offloading the cargo. Then the crew's sequestered, interviewed by government agents, they say. All but the fourth shift are out within a week. That shift sequestered for more than a month. Six months later, Malcolm Ngubwe, the fourth shift's engineer, dies under, shall we say, mysterious circumstances? Then that same shift's pilot, one Carlton Hirsch, and his wife Allison, the ship's doctor, leave the Starliner Company for work planet side. He shrugged. It's not so unusual, except he was in line for promotion to captain. Strange time for a career change, isn't it? I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, you do. He leaned toward her, noting her expression shifting from weariness to nervousness. What happened out there to cause so much fuss, Captain Mishikawa? She swallowed, pulling away from him. Who are you? He tapped his thumb and forefinger together and waited for a moment. When nothing happened, he sniffed in annoyance. He figured she would have upgraded to the interactive database implant by now. She'd been back long enough, and those implants made forgetting names a thing of the past. But he always kept old-style hollow cards, though, just in case. Pulling one out of his pocket, he slid it across the bar to her. His credentials were plainly visible. Jeremy Reynolds, investigative reporter, 
Star News. She picked it up, her eyes narrowing as she read it. Then she stood, dropping the card onto the bar. I've got nothing to say to you, Mr. Reynolds. She turned to leave, but stopped as Jeremy grabbed her arm gently. There are rumors of a new strain of disease on board. The public has a right to know the truth, Captain. She hesitated, then pulled away from his grasp. Good night, Mr. Reynolds. With that, she walked away at a brisk pace. She was out the door quickly and never looked back. Jeremy remained in his chair for several minutes more, finishing his beer and shrugging off the bartender's quip about him striking out. There was definitely something there. He intended to find out what it was. As the door to La Chupacabra slid shut behind her, Josephine Ishikawa let out a breath she did not realize she'd been holding. It had been two years, and she thought, sure, interest about her last shift on Paraglis had died by now. Damn it, that's all she needed. Some reporter prying into things. Muttering angrily to herself, she stalked to the lift at the end of the hall and punched the down button. La Chupacabra was on the third floor of a commercial tower on the east side of town, far enough from her usual stomping grounds that she was unlikely to run into anyone from work. Not that she didn't like the people she worked with, but she generally preferred not to mix business with pleasure. Besides, she saw way too much of them when they were stuck together on a starliner, millions of astronomical units from the nearest rock. A short ride later, she hit the streets. Quito was the major hub for travel to and from low Earth orbit in the Western Hemisphere. Its location, essentially right on the equator, was ideal. Add in its status as a political hub and its relative proximity to major shipping ports, and it was natural that as mankind became a spacefaring species, it, along with Mogadishu and Kuala Lumpur, would move into the limelight. That would likely change once the space elevators were completed. The western anchor point was further east in Brazil, away from the fault line in the Andes. But that wasn't scheduled for completion for another decade or more. It was a worry for a later time. For the planet bound, anyway. But Joe, like other starfarers, had a different perspective on the flow of time than most people. In another two years, once Pericles' overhaul was complete, she would hop aboard to Gliza once again. Next time she returned, though only two and a half to three waking years would have passed for her, Earth would have seen over 40. Some found that disconcerting. Culture shock alone accounted for a large percentage of the company's attrition among new hires. But Joe found it fascinating, being able to observe the flow of history from a position outside the normal timeline. She very much looked forward to seeing the changes when she returned next. But for now, she was here, and Quito was booming. Towering skyscrapers filled with stylish and pricey condominiums. Fine restaurants in every street corner, catty corner to the omnipresent Starbucks. Shopping establishments that ran the gambit from thrift stores to the highest of high-priced. Quito had it all, and with it, congestion. It wasn't worth it to even try to motor yourself anywhere, even if it did not cost an arm and a leg to park. A cab stand was situated a half block down from La Chupacabra's building. Joe flipped up her collar and hurried the short distance, hunching over in the early evening drizzle in a vain attempt to avoid getting wet. The forecast had been for clear skies, so she had not brought an umbrella. Should have known better than to trust the weatherman. Fortunately, the queue was short and covered with a simple plastic glass canopy, so she was able to avoid the rain while she waited. Within a few minutes, she found herself settled into the cab's passenger compartment. Fortunately, it was an older cab that still accepted hollow cards. She inserted her card and said, Home. The cab acknowledged in a deep male voice and pulled away from the stand. Joe would give even odds whether the voice was from a voice actor or just simulated. Either way, she suspected it was supposed to make a lady feel warm and secure, or maybe even sound sexy. 
She had heard the female voice that played for heterosexual male passengers. Hopefully, they found her as silly as Joe found the male. Settling back into the passenger couch, Joe watched the buildings pass and her thoughts began to drift. She remembered the mixture of wonder and fear when Carl called her to the bridge and she saw what he had found. The exhilaration of applying her crew's capabilities to an unexpected problem. The terror when it seemed like it was all falling apart and then the relief when it didn't. She decided two years ago to put it all out of her mind. Even without the security debriefings and non-disclosure agreements, she knew her part of the job was finished. There was nothing else she could do, and it wouldn't serve any purpose to dwell on their encounter. Then, when Malcolm died, it was just one more reason to move on. She'd done a good job of it, too. Damned reporters. The cab stopped and she stepped out. Her building was a smaller condo complex on the south side, not far from the spaceport. More industrial, with less fancy decoration and greenery, it wasn't a choice neighborhood. But she hated long commutes, so it suited her purpose. Her condo was on the sixth floor. The ride up on the lift seemed slower than normal. Or maybe she was just more anxious to get home than usual. It had been a crappy end to a crappy day, and she wanted nothing more than to soak in the tub and hit the rack. As she entered, the lights automatically turned on and soft music began to play, streaming from her favorite mix site. As the music started, the television wall in her small living room lit up with a slideshow from Joe's travels during her career in space. Vistas from a dozen worlds flicked past in time with the music. The eternal terminator on Gliza, where the famed granite trees with their massive trunks leaned far into the constantly blowing hurricane force winds and sent their branches with their hauntingly beautiful flowers straining toward the star that forever lingered on the horizon. The barren mountains of Barrens hold fast, accessible only in a suit and then only with permission from colony administration and after extensive EVA training. The vine peaks of Talos, rising higher than a number of mountains on Earth, and formed entirely by a single growing plant that housed its own micro-ecosystems and dozens of unique species. Joe smiled as she took in the slideshow for a moment. It was good to be home after a long day, but there was where her heart truly lay, out among the stars on a ship at her command. Then her smile faded as a dialogue box opened on the televid wall. There was a message from Harold Jameson, the chief operating officer of the Starliner Company, and her boss at the moment. Crap, she breathed and tapped the televid control panel. The dialogue box turned into an image of Harold, bald head and all, looking tired but alert. Seeing her, he perked up and scowled. Where the hell you been, Joe? And when the hell are you going to get an implant? Never. I don't want a bunch of electronics in my head that will be obsolete by the time I get back from my next run in 40 years. Then why can't you turn on your mobile, like every other civilized person on the planet? Joe rolled her eyes. What do you want, Harry? It's late. Harold's scowl faded, replaced by a focused, business-like expression, with a hint of anxiety that only someone who knew him as well as she did would notice. I need you back here ASAP. We're manning the ECC. Joe's fatigue was instantly replaced by a surge of adrenaline and annoyance. So much for her trip to Boston tomorrow. What's happened? Wu Shen will fill you anyway to get here. Hurry. The video feed switched off, and the television switched back to the classical music playlist. Swan Lake began playing, along with a slideshow of landscape photos from the various planets she had visited during her time with the Starliner Company. Joe left the condo before the first ten bars had finished. Alright, that there is the first chapter of the Pericles Conspiracy. I haven't decided if I'm going to do this one chapter at a time or two. This first chapter was a little bit shorter than 
some of the uh, previous episodes I normally do and only do around 30 minutes. This is going to be around 20 total once I get done with everything. Um, and that's okay. Um, some of the other chapters later on in the book will be much shorter and I'll probably combine them. But as long as I can get you know, between 20 minutes or so, uh, maybe a little longer, I think we'll stick with one per week. That's partly laziness on my part because that means I don't have to pick anything else to do for a long time because there's something like 60 chapters in the book. Score! But, you know, as we go on, you guys get more impatient. We can uh, do some more per episode, I guess, maybe, if you're lucky. And who knows, between now and then, maybe I'll uh, have the time and resources to hire a true voice actor to do this and I'll intersperse uh, the voice actor probably actress um, because uh, since as you might be able to tell by now the story is mostly told from Joey Shikawa's point of view and she being a woman it seems to me that the female voice actress would be probably more appropriate to use for this uh, but uh, anyway if I get that done before I'm done voicing it myself here then maybe I'll <laughs> uh, just let the actress take over uh, probably not, though. I'll finish what I've started, because why not? Yeah, we'll see. Anyway, um, so yeah, interesting start, I think, right? Holy smokes, a little mystery. What the heck happened to Malcolm? He of the uh, figuring out that it's the aliens mathematics. And uh, why did Carl and Allison leave? I mean, I think if you got out of Passing of the Night that Carl really kind of digs this stuff, and Allison too... But they left. Hmm. So we kind of know what went on, right? We know because we read the prequel um, what went on. But still, doesn't necessarily explain completely why they left. And how come Malcolm died mysteriously? Hmm. Generally not a good thing. So we'll see what happens as we uh, continue on. Um, I really don't have too much else to add on this one. Um just, yeah, let me know what you think and come back for more. As usual, you can purchase the book if you uh, don't want to wait. You can become a member of my website if you want to show some support in another way. Uh, the It's just like Patreon set up, except I control it through a WordPress plugin and PayPal subscription payments. Uh, so you can do... If you just like my podcast and want me to continue, um, you can just throw a buck a month and hoo yeah, A couple bucks a month, I'll send you free short stories. Five bucks a month, I'll send you everything I put out ever, electronically. And more than that, if you want uh, paper and if you want audio. You can go to the website, uh, mikekingswood.com, and use, a, uh, I think there's a membership link or patronage link i think it's patronage and you can go check out and see how that works and if you want to hook a brother up that'd be awesome otherwise go buy the book or come back here next week either way subscribe if you haven't tell your buddies about this if you haven't and uh as we go through if you see like if i read a story and you like it please leave a review someplace where it's legit to do so that'd be great too um yeah that's all i got hopefully you guys have a good week uh, enjoy. I'll talk to you next time. Till then, don't do anything I wouldn't do.
Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com, where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mail list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music, copyright Gene Paul Zoggy, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>